Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus. You're joining me, it is episode 273, March the 10th, it is a Friday. And this Friday, I'm going to deviate from my normal five-pointed presentation and delve into something that has been weighing on my heart for some time. That is the state of the party. So I, I trust some of you have been paying attention to what's going on around us, that you are aware of some of the drama, some of the power grabs, the battles for control that are taking place within the party, but also within the state as a whole. And there's really different factions and different factions within the factions would be the way I would interpret it. So we in the state of Texas were created by a bunch of people that were early progressives, right? The way our government set up, the way a lot of things in Texas function. When it was recreated um, in the 1900s, most of that was in a reaction to an abusive governor. <laughs> Strange, because that'll come up again later. But it was to create a organizational body that was semi-insulated from politics to ensure that you always had good quality people running the city, the county, the school district, whatever else, to limit some of the changes that would occur from time to time as different uh, political factions took control. Now, they can fire the chief administrator, but the people below that have some protections and they can't easily be replaced. So that's a little institutional knowledge that gets protected. And that's all well and good until nobody changes anything for several decades. So let me just take a minute and state from the onset that I am referencing several things that have come out via Current Revolt and the uh, Texas Voice. And I want to say that I've read both articles uh, that are related to it. Uh, Maybe not in, well, I don't know if I ever finished the other one in the Texas voice, but I've read enough to come to the conclusion that the accusation, which was leveled here, is maybe not entirely fair. So now that I've laid that down as where I'm going with this, Before I get started, let me remind you, you can like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. That does me a big solid. If you are particularly happy or enthusiastic about that which I've spoken of tonight or any other day, do me a favor, leave a comment or rate the show. It helps. It makes a difference. We're uh, quickly approaching the 100K that was a goal, and uh, from there we'll start to look at implementing some improvements and some changes. Okay, so on the onset, let me just say I am an enthusiastic supporter of the current chair of the Republican Party of Texas. I think he's a solid guy. I trust him and is, uh, let's say, where I believe his heart to be. That being said, as with everything else, just because the guy in charge is one of your guys 
right? Somebody that you think very highly of. You have to think of every law and every rule change and what the result would be if somebody that you don't care for or somebody that you don't trust gets in that role. So as far as leadership goes, and I don't know a lot about our vice chair and the lady that is there now, um, I will say that I was pleased with the forerunner, Alma Jackson, and the one that uh, took over, uh, I was less pleased, but I didn't dislike. And the the new uh, vice chair, I've only heard good things, but I haven't been paying super attention to it because quite frankly, the party has run quite well. Now we need money. We need more and better candidates and that's things that should and can fall upon the party itself. But by and large, Texas and their elected officials tend to ignore the Republican Party as much as they possibly can. You know, they have those pesky things called priorities and principles and platform planks. And those just kind of get in the way of those that seek to govern us and to reinforce their own power. Fortunately, the current chairman, Matt Rinaldi, doesn't go along with that idea. He has a silly notion that if you're going to wear our brand, if you're going to claim to be a Republican in good standing, that the Republicans probably ought to get determined if you are in fact in good standing, and they probably ought to have more say about, I don't know, the people that represent them. So, That's all well and good. Unfortunately, the party really doesn't have any power or any authority to make this happen. And I know, based upon my historical knowledge and personal experience, that party bosses and single party rule are dangerous and have negative side effects. But much like the mafia, (laughs) yeah, I know. They have a vested interest in keeping their people happy, right? That loyalty goes so far and we want everybody to be part of the same family. As it stands right now, the Republican Party is made up of a couple of different factions. Um, I would say they're the nominally liberty folks, right? Then there's the conservative massive bulk, if you will, which has got similar subdivisions within it. And those two factions often work together. Then you have your establishment, which the establishment will overlap into the conservatives, if you will, but they're primarily um, brought about from their previous connections and actions, most often at the municipal level. And then there are the milquetoast moderates of the group, which primarily inhabit the establishment, but they, the milquetoast moderates can in fact identify as conservatives and they just don't hold the line. They, they don't push the issue. They just kind of bow to the whims of party leadership. So when we look at that and we look at the fact that the party doesn't have any power to define what it is to be a party member, we are brought to the idea of the grassroots, right? And the article uh, basically states that you're going to disenfranchise grassroots voters. Well, actually, yes and no. 
when you look at the Republican Party of Collin County, where I'm a denizen, we are very involved and very interested in every precinct chair uh, has a vested interest in the people that represent them, whether it's the county chairman or our state reps. But most importantly, locally, that turns into the people that run for school board for city council. What do they do and how, how do they get to claim to be Republicans? Well, apparently right now, the only requirement is, is they have to vote in the Republican primary. And for those of you following along, you know that doesn't mean anything. If you've been in Collin County for more than 20 years, it's pretty much pointless to vote in a Democrat primary. One, Democrats don't typically win in Collin County, period, end of story. We have our situation with HD70, which hopefully will be resolved. But that may be just a constant thing, and I'm prepared to live with it. I just don't like it. But by, by and large, if you've lived in Collin County for those that period of time, most Democrats vote in the Republican primary, and then they turn around and claim to be Republicans. But if you look at what they do and what they support and the people they give money to, they're really not Republicans. Now, a fair disclosure would be is I am one of those liberty Republicans, right? I, I align with a lot of libertarian views and I support a lot of libertarian things, but I'm not a libertarian because there's two major hangups. Why? As well as the fact of the matter is they're completely ineffective and cannot and will not get anything done in Collin County as it stands right now and quite frankly, anywhere. And that kind of makes me sad, but that's a different question or a different topic dealing just with the Republican thing. So I became a Republican. I'm an active Republican. I am a precinct chair. I have served on a couple of committees. I, I am as active as I can be without being in party leadership in Collin County. And I got to tell you of the 150 so people that are at the county level, party level organization, I trust the vast majority of them in making the decision far more than the people that show up and vote in the Republican primary. That doesn't mean that the Republican primary voters get it wrong. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. It just means they're less informed and less involved. And quite frankly, a lot of them are Democrats. So when I look at the, this article talking about um, perhaps having nominating committees or conventions, I don't see that as a bad thing, at least not on the face of it. Now, I've already established that I seek how it could be abused. I have seen the abuse in part firsthand, and I certainly am aware of it from my historical studies because I was a history major, I, I did learn about some of this stuff. So the idea in the term party boss definitely is pejorative. The idea of the smoke-filled rooms determining who's going to get to run is also a negative aspect. But I don't think that's the way it would work now. This would actually, without acknowledging its failings or its potential failings, be, well, let me rephrase that. With acknowledging its potential failings and its potential shortcomings, and some are immediately obvious, 
seems to me that we would get a better candidate, more than likely, more often than not. How do I say that and why do I say that? Okay, think about it. Right now, if you want to run as a Republican in any race, you have to raise an enormous amount of money in order to take on an incumbent. If you're running against an incumbent and you get the nod or the pat on the back or whatever from the party leadership, that means by default, they are dissatisfied with an elected official that wears their brand. That's going to carry a lot of weight if you start actually having primaries, whereupon the party itself is streamlining the process within a convention within a caucus, if you will. The party should and can control the brand. That doesn't mean that, say you have a, I don't know, we'll just use John Cornyn as an example. The state party can say, John Cornyn is a bad representative of what it means to be a Republican. And there's not a darn thing they can do about it. I mean, they can censure him, they can slap him on the wrist all day long. And John Cornyn, with all the money he raises, He just laughs at us. But if we could strip him of the nomination, right? We just refuse to give him that nomination. Well, now he would have to run as an independent. Now, in fairness, John Cornyn is not an absolutely terrible senator. Uh, He's out of disfavor with certain factions of the party for good reason. But he could make a good argument why he is the best candidate as a Republican. He could also very easily, in my opinion, run as an independent and then choose to caucus with the Republicans in D.C. But the whole problem is, is when we send these guys over to D.C., they don't give a rip about Texas anymore. They don't care what the Texas Republican Party, what the Texas Republican voter, or quite frankly, the convention thinks about what they do and what they say. That is directly reflected at the state level as well. Think about it. If you're going to run in a primary against any incumbent that goes to a primary vote, you're going to need an enormous amount of money to stand any chance in challenging the incumbent. However, if it goes to a caucus at the convention where they can determine whether or not that person gets to keep the title Republican nominee, or perhaps go a step further, they get to say, we're not even going to nominate you as a Republican. We're going to nominate this person. That opens up a whole other can of worms now, doesn't it? That puts the elected official in tension with the party of the county or counties that they represent. Now, I know that that could be flipped upon the county, right? You've got, um, again, we could use the example of John Cornyn. John Cornyn goes and muscles himself into whatever his hometown is and tells that county leadership, you're all out, I'm bringing my people in, and he could force it upon them. And as a state or a U.S. senator for the state of Texas, (laughs) that is a possibility. It's an entirely different scenario if you're in a county with multiple state reps or, or even more than one state senator. Now, I will tell you that 
uh, I freely will acknowledge that if the state rep or the state senator has multiple counties, it can become an issue where they can manipulate that county official. But here's the other flip side of that, right? There are precinct chairs and the precinct chairs can remove a chairman. So if your county chairman is sold out and basically operates as a function of whatever elected official, the precinct chairs can bounce them and they can rebel and they can push back and they can take the name off the ballot if they want to. Or just choose to not endorse. I mean, there's so many things that could be done. It actually hands power back to the individual counties. Again, it's not perfect. And I don't know that there is a perfect solution. But to continue to pretend that what's working is the best we can do is a mistake. To continue to pretend that, well, you know, because we win the races and everybody that votes in the primary, they must be Republicans or, or at least Republicans in good standing. Who are we to question them? Who are we to require anything of them? I'm sorry, but we have open primaries. And if you're in a county or a district that is dominated by Republicans and you run two or three people in that race, it's very common and very much understood among Democrats that you go and vote in that Republican primary and you vote for the weakest candidate or the most moderate candidate you can. It happens in every municipal and school board race across the state of Texas. And it's particularly egregious and problematic because in the school board races, a good number of them are plurality wins. Now, in my mind, that's insane. There's no way, no how, that somebody ought to be an elected official with 34% of the vote. That's crazy, but it happens. It does, and and there's nothing we can do about it. Or for that matter, 42% of the vote. Again, crazy, but it happens. The only problem with all of this is the Texas legislature would have to essentially go in and approve the change in the law. They're not going to do that. Do you think the legislature wants to give up their control or their power that they have in this state? And while we're at it, I've often remarked that I think it's ridiculous that a state with 33 million plus people only has 33 state senators and only has 150 house reps. It would seem to me that we should have at least 330 house reps at this point and, you know, just to keep things round, maybe... 105 senators. Now, yes, I understand that's, quote, more money to run an election, but I'm going to tell you, I think those people do a far better job of representing us and would be far more, mm, let's say, agreeable to the people that actually get them elected than they are now. Do you think most of those state senators give a rip about what a bunch of people think that live in their district? No, they got their money. There's nobody that's going to be able to challenge them in the primary. And, well, we've already drawn this district, so it's 55% my party, so nobody cares. And then, of course, the party's got their hands tied because they fully understand that if they don't show up and they don't support this guy, even though they're not enthusiastic about him, the other option is horrible and far worse. And I understand, Democrats, you're probably, (laughs) if any of them are listening to me, (laughs) oh, too bad, so sad. But the same thing can and will happen in your districts and in your party because look at the (laughs) Cretans that keep getting sent back as Democrats. I mean, don't you think you could do better? Don't you want to do better? 
It's never going to happen unless you find a way to rein them in. And the only way you can rein them in is to balance out some of that power. The whole idea of federalism is that the feds only had limited, and by that the federal government, only had limited powers and authorities, and the states could and would push back against them. They were the ultimate authority of what was allowable or not allowable at the state level. Likewise, the states created the cities, the counties, and all the districts, and those districts, counties, and cities could push back against the state through their representatives. But that's not what's happening right now, is it? And as much as I love Texas, as much as I support the idea of a Texit, I am not foolish enough, nor naive enough, to believe that separating ourselves from D.C. would fix the problem in Austin. The way we can fix the problem in Austin is, one, get our party to uh, get a shot of steroids and have a little more authority on who gets to run and pretend to be a Republican in good standing, uh, number two, and metaphorically speaking on the steroids, please. Number two, expand the number of representatives. Now, I'm told that was set by the Texas Constitution. Well, we've got so many amendments to the Texas Constitution. I really don't see where that's a problem. Other than the people that are there have zero interest in doing that. Just like they have zero interest in returning the power back to the local parties. The only way we can fix that is by exerting pressure. Now, Matt Rinaldi, to his credit, said, well, I don't think the party should do this on their own. It really should be done through the legislature. And I agree. The legislature should do it. But we all know the legislature is not going to do it. So it falls upon the party to start pressuring people and start encouraging the grassroots people to be involved and to speak on this issue and start demanding it. Starting with a resolution from each county in the state of Texas, basically stating that we want more representatives, we want more state senators, or quite frankly, we want the party that we belong to and we invest our time, money, and efforts into to have more say over who gets to claim to be a Republican. They could change the definition. They could create, I don't know, a registry of Republicans and Democrats. They could force you... I know how this sounds, but they could force you to show a card. I'm a Republican and I'm voting in the Republican primary. They could. I don't know if they will, but there are some things that we can and should be doing. The problem is there's very little, if any, incentive for those people in Austin to do these things. So once again, that falls on we the people because ultimately it all breaks down to money, right? I've said this before. I wish our state reps, our state senators, our U.S. reps and our U.S. senators would just wear a jacket with all their sponsors on it. Just be honest with we the people. I mean, I get it. Uh, Mitt Romney gets to claim to be a Republican. We know he's awful. We know he gets his funding from folks like over at BlackRock. But is Mitt Romney the worst U.S. senator? No, probably not. Is he the worst Republican? maybe he might be in the top two, but until the state of Utah decides to rein it in or deal with Mitt Romney, that's what we're stuck with. John Cornyn. Yeah. Okay. He's easy to poke at. He's made some, what I would call category errors and making claims and making, um, moves and amendments that weaken various, um, constitutional protections. But at the end of the day, John Cornyn's still a Republican. Nobody doubts that. 
at least not legitimately doubt it. Okay, we might doubt that he's a good conservative. We may doubt that he's with us on all these different issues. But by and large, John Cornyn still toes the line on the majority of things that are important to Republicans. And at some point in the near future, God willing, John Cornyn will retire and perhaps will get a better U.S. Senator. But that can't happen if we don't work for it now. That can't happen if we fi- if we cannot find a way to balance out the influence that money has coming from Austin. Do you wonder why it is Dade Phelan, the lieutenant governor and the governor, spend money in local, i.e., local representative races? Do you wonder for one minute why that happens? Of course, they have their favorites, their buddies, the people they want to come back and serve with them for them, carry their water. It's a vested interest, and that's very hard to counteract. I mean, when you're looking at spending half a million dollars to run in a primary, and then perhaps another half a million to a million dollars to run in the general election, keeping in mind, you've already drawn your district, so you have a 10-point cushion. It's just not satisfying to me. It shouldn't be satisfied to anybody, and this is what we have to settle for. And this is the kind of thing that we're expected to just accept as normal, business as usual, the way it ought to be. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that. Going back to the central tenet, we believe that leadership should be determined from the bottom up. But what if the bottom has been co-opted? What if the bottom has been polluted, corrupted, and otherwise a problem? Well, what if you could take a select few or a select percentage of the bottom, right? The people that work their tails off, the people that invest time, the people that represent the smallest district that the state is divided up. That would be the individual precinct. What if you had them go and look in and vet and determine who is a good candidate and who is not a good candidate? Who do we want to keep the Republican brand and who do we not want to have the Republican brand? That changes things up a bit now, doesn't it? I mean, if we're not going to close the primaries, if we could at least get into nominating conventions or committees, that takes a little of that back. And I know that those elected officials, they're going to work the system. They're going to do everything they can to fight back. But again, precinct chairs are determined by the people that live in that precinct. Precinct chairs also determine who gets to show up as a delegate. Delegates then get to determine who gets to represent them. I'm quite comfortable with that. Delegates don't get everything right all the time, but certainly they're far more attuned to what it is to be a Republican, be a conservative, to be concerned about liberty than your average voter, especially when 20% of those voters are just Democrats voting in our primaries. We have to do something to protect our organization. We have to do something to protect our state and our country. I'm open. I think it's a good discussion. Just like I think Texas is a great discussion, I think this is a good discussion too. You have to be willing to open your mind and not just say, well, this is the way we've always done things, so it must be right. And, oh, by the way, the article quotes Scalia. Well, I can like Scalia too, but I don't think he was right on everything, and I certainly don't think he was infallible. So, again, 
we got to deal with what is the here and now. And how do we deal with that is sometimes we got to find a good, convenient way to push back. And with that, I hope you enjoy your weekend. We're closing in on the weekend beginning. And I hope to have this up before 6 p.m. I'm late, but not that late on Friday to give you something to think about over the weekend. And I hope you enjoy the show and I will see you on the other side.